Welcome, everyone, to this edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday. The University of Alabama, their first loss of the season, 19-game winning streak, second one under Nick Saban, gone 41-38. to They lose on the road at Texas A&M. Uh, it's, you know, nearly 18-point favorites, but it didn't matter to the Crimson Tide. Battle in the second half, coming back from a 24-10 halftime deficit to take a 37, or excuse me, 38-31 lead after the two-point conversion to Jamison Williams, but cannot hold the lead. They lose on the last play, 41-38, to losing to the Aggies for the first time since 2012. And we're going to be here to break it all down with our usual compatriots, Thomas Watts, the Wizard, in Mobile, uh, as he is also producing this show. Going to have some interesting takes and thoughts on this loss for Alabama and where they go from here. And, of course, uh, from 89 to 93, 1992 national champion William Redfish Barger. And uh, he will have his takes as well from this disappointing loss for the University of Alabama. But I will say, uh, you know, after watching the game and I've been talking to people and getting some messages from people that I trust, I think one thing William said last week that rings true, this team doesn't have a killer instinct. And I think that comes from a lack of internal leadership amongst the players on the team. I just... They lost a lot of great players and leaders off the team last year, and I think that's sorely lacking so far. I don't think it woke them up now. We can see that with that close call in Gainesville. Sometimes a loss is what has to wake you up. We'll see if it does with this group, but certainly a disappointing outcome in College Station, and we'll talk about it for the next uh, hour or so with you on BAMS Radio. And William, I'll bring you in. Uh, just a very disappointing performance from Alabama last night. It kind of follows the old mantra when we've seen Saban's teams get upset, uh, turnovers, you know, mental errors. There was a lot of busted coverages yesterday, big plays given up, a big play in the kicking game when Alabama had covered kickoffs well all year. Uh, and then, of course, as we said, I think the most glaring for me, seven to eight drop passes and probably the worst game in Jaleel Billingsley's career I had him picked as the MVP before the game, so I have to wear it. Uh, he did not record a catch and, you know, really had a burn-the-tape kind of game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to, to pick a starting point here, Drew. I mean, it's a, it's a long, right. you know, laundry list, and there's a lot of, you know, culpable suspects. Um, you, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it has to start with the coaching staff. Um, you know, they're, they're paid a lot of money to make sure that these players, you know, are focused and, and, you know, focused on the next opponent and they showed up, they show up on Saturday ready to play. I mean, this, you know, isn't necessarily the first time this has happened this year. And, uh, right. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, kind of showed itself, you know, in the second half of games where they've gotten large leads. And, you know, they've kind of let things start to slip through their fingers. But this this kind of started, you know, early in the first quarter. You know, Texas A&M looked like they were, you know, more prepared to play, had a better plan, a better executed plan. And when you start factoring in um, that they did that on an offense with a second-team quarterback, you know, with, with two true freshman offensive linemen, you know, to me that was probably the toughest pill to swallow is, you know, they they were able to line up and protect their quarterback. They were able to run, you know, up the middle when they wanted to. 
Um, you know, and, and on the flip side of the football, Alabama wasn't able to do that. But just defensively, I mean, you know, the defensive line was getting pushed around. The inside linebackers were, you know, ghosts as usual, like they've been a lot this year. The, the number of uh, – you know, I would say the number of busted coverages in the secondary uh, yesterday probably mirrors along the same amount of drop passes on offense. So, you know, I, like we were talking before we came on, you know, if, if you would have told me last Sunday um, that you would give me a million dollars to agree with y'all that, you know, Texas A&M was going to be able to sack Bryce Young five or six times, whatever it ended up being, um, but the number of pressures and hurries will probably double that. And Alabama's front seven wasn't going to record a single sack against this offensive line and that quarterback. I mean, I'd, I'd still be laughing at you. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was tough to watch. But, you know, like like you said, I mean, you know, is this the wake-up point? I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I do agree with, you know, what you were saying, Drew, earlier, that there, you know, there does seem to be a lack of, you know, internal leadership on this football team. Um, you know, especially on offense, it seems like the first-year quarterback's the, you know, the only leader over there, I would say, based on, you know, the way that the two guys come out and conduct themselves and play every Saturday. You know, certainly by example, I would have to throw Brian Robinson and Jamison Williams in there, um, you know, just how they, you know, produce every week. But, uh, yeah, Evan Neal as well. But um, it, it's just – you know, when you look at the way this program is recruited, um, you know, and I get it, they lost a lot of talented players off of last year's team, but, you know, so is everybody else. Um, but but I think this is very alarming to me as an Alabama fan that, you know, a program that's coming off, you know, two SEC losses in a row, um, that, that they were able to come out and, play like they played um, against this 2021 Alabama team. I and mean, I really am at a loss for any more words other than that. It just, it shocked me. Yeah. I mean, it shocked me as well a little bit. I mean, I, now Zach Calzada kind of had his uh, Steven Garcia moments. He'd made three or four throws that I'm not sure he'll ever make again, but he made them. Uh, certainly selfishly. I hope A&M has a good team. I hope they have a good record going forward. They were, a top five, top 10 team a couple of weeks ago before they dropped those two games. And certainly it would help Alabama if they still were a good team, but certainly they have issues themselves. If Alabama catches a football, it just does their damn job as receivers. Alabama still wins this and they have 600 yards of offense, but they didn't catch the ball. I mean, we had Jaleel Billings. They already mentioned Cameron Latou been great all year. He drops a touchdown. John Mechie drops one and, He's having trouble getting separation. He's not an explosive guy. But one thing I think we did learn is Nick Saban called Jamison Williams a dog a couple weeks ago, and he's a dog. He likes the lights. He stepped up yesterday. He's the true number one receiver on this football team. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And he really impressed me with the way he played. He did not drop the football. He made plays. Uh, he was one of the. He was pretty much the only highlight amongst the wide receivers and tight ends. So I got to give him a lot of credit. But then there's also the specter of the offensive line, which played well as a group against Ole Miss William, but did not play well in the first half. Had trouble uh, protecting Bryce Young, protecting against the blitz. Uh, we see once again Chris Owens do his best Chris Capps imitation. 
uh, during the game. He could not pass protect very well. Uh, we're very fortunate Bryce Young didn't get injured. I still say of the things that bother me, his situation bothers me the most. I was told today everyone in the building wants a change at right tackle, but Nick Saban, he feels loyalty to the young man because he came back. But to me, William, Damian George, J.C. Latham, a younger player needs to be in there playing because I know Chris Owens is a senior, but he's not playing at a very high level. And I think it also goes back to something I think you've mentioned on this show. He's playing out of position. He's an interior offensive lineman playing tackle. But if there's one thing, I know I've had people ask me about coaching changes, which aren't going to happen in the middle of the season. And then, you know, personnel changes defensively. But the one that I want to see the most, I think, is at right tackle because I just think it's affected Emil Echior as well. Emil was a good player last year on, our, on the best offensive line in the country. He hasn't played as well. We saw Dalcourt at least fix the snap issues yesterday. Uh, but I still think right tackle is a huge weakness. Well, I mean, I, I don't understand why there's people in that building that are against making personnel changes in the middle of the season. I mean, if the the personnel issues led to a loss against a less talented, you know, Texas A&M program, then you need to do whatever measures it takes to fix that situation. If that, you know, involves, you know, moving Chris Owens back to center and, and going with Latham or George at right tackle, um, you know, I think it needs to happen because we've talked about this for a month now, you know, and, and, and the Chris Capps reference is a perfect one. They're, they're asking, just like they asked Chris Capps, they're asking Chris Owens to play a position that he's not capable of playing. And, and I say that from, from, from somebody that, you know, used to make fun of our offensive tackles for, you know, getting their asses whipped and, you know, pass pro and practice. Finally, the coaches got sick of my smart ass one day and said, hey, Barger, get your ass out there at left tackle and see what you can do. <laughs> and, and there is, there is a huge difference in going from that phone booth in the, the guard in the, the center box, you know, where everything's constricted and people don't have a lot of space to make things happen. When you go out there on that Island by yourself, it is a lonely ass place to be. And yeah, uh, you know, there's no shame in that. And there's no shame in a coaching staff saying, Hey guys, you know, in the staff meeting tomorrow morning at 7.30, you know, we're asking this kid to do something he's not physically capable of doing. I mean, he's trying. You know, he's trying to move his feet as fast as he can. He just can't do it. Right. And, uh, you know, so that that's, that's you know, people are taking their, their vitriol and their venom out on Chris Owens. It's not Chris Owens' fault. It's the coach's fault. Yeah, I agree with that. And let me clarify once again, the, the people, when the building wants to change, it's just Nick Saban doesn't want it. And But we've seen this before under Coach Saban. He's been loyal to guys that stuck around in the program that were playing in front of more talented players. And I just would like to see Damian George. I'd like to see a J.C. Latham, one of these guys. I think they're better players. And if they did move, you know, you know uh, Owens back to center, that's fine. Uh, you know, Dalcourt has gotten a chance to get his feet wet, but I just really believe that they need to make a change at right tackle. And I think everybody but Nick Saban believes that as well. It's going to be, you know, Nick Saban was the last one to want to pull Jalen Hurts. And he finally had to do it when it, when in the lead, in the, at the last possible moment. It'll be interesting to see what he does with Chris Owens, who did get benched last year, if you remember, until the playoff. You know, 
he got benched for, I should say, in 2019. He was benched uh, for Chris, uh, for, excuse me, they moved over, uh, you know, Landon Dickerson to center uh, for the rest of that season. And then he was a backup for the majority of last year until Landon tore his ACL. So we'll see. I mean, I just think there needs to be some change made along that offensive line at that right tackle spot. I think Cohen is playing left guard good enough. I doubt Court was better, but if they, you know, replace Owens with him, so be it. And then Ekior there at uh, right guard. But, yeah, I really just think that the uh, there's a glaring spot of weakness there at right tackle that Alabama needs to remedy if they want to get where they need to go. But at the same time, even with all the, you know, what we're talking about, they still had 522 yards offense last night. The offense did enough. Like you said, William, uh, a really slow start by the defense. 24 points in the, you know, in half number one. They adjusted in the second half and, you know, held A&M to 13 points. But when they absolutely had to slam the door shut, they could not. Uh, just uh, the uh, We didn't see much of Fedarian Mathis last night in the backfield. The, the, the blitz packages were ineffective. Uh, and now, you know, these injuries to uh, Chris Allen and Drew Sanders are really starting to catch up. We didn't see much of Chris Braswell. He's shown some ability to rush the passer. I didn't see him much last night. They played Dallas Turner, who's in effect a fourth stringer, a true freshman, and it really seemed to affect the pass rush, William. We didn't see much pass rush at all last night. No, not at all. And, and you know, that's, you know, I mean, I, and I would say, you know, certainly in the first half, um, you know, Mike Elko, the Texas A&M defensive coordinator, um, out-schemed Bill O'Brien. I mean, they made some nice adjustments at halftime to, you know, the way they were flooding that one side of the field, um, you know, with, with the blitzes. And, and it was just bizarre because, you know, his stuff was creative. It was confusing. And you flip over to the other side and you start watching in the second half when Alabama's trying to blitz. It, it's almost like Alabama's inside linebackers have been taught not to avoid the pass blocker, but to just, you know, run in there and engage them. You know, the, the the goal there is to make somebody miss you so you can get to the quarterback, not engage the blocker. Um, you know, they were easy to see when they were coming. They were ineffective when they did. Um, you know, there again, I mean, I, I never would have thought a, you know, a, a, a first-year, second-team uh, quarterback you know, would have been able to, and, and, and the, you know, an offensive line that's struggled a lot more than Alabama's has, you know, up to this point in the season, um, you know, would have been able to execute the way that they did at that clip in, in the first half and then in the, the latter part of the fourth quarter when the game was on the line. And I want to bring Thomas Watts in, who has, all, had, we everyone on this podcast, but especially Thomas has been critical of Pete Golding. I certainly have. I, uh, he is what he is at this point. I don't think he's ever going to get much better. Uh, you know, they won a national championship with him, absolutely. And they've won a lot of games, but he seems to take uh, you know, a half to figure things out along with Nick Saban. Uh, so I just don't think he's an elite defensive coordinator. I think he's a bad fit because I just don't think he can apply and teach Alabama's scheme. Certainly, I, he taught something completely different at Texas San Antonio. But, you know, only Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt have been able to effectively do it. Kevin Steele wasn't that great uh, in his stint at Alabama as well. But, Thomas, uh, what are your thoughts after what you saw on Saturday night? Well, the, the, the Chris Owens point is well said. 
he causes so, 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 so many problems for the Alabama offense. I mean, I, I will talk about this some more, and then I'll get, uh, then I'll jump to Pete Golding. I promise. But one of the things with Chris Owens is there's a real lack of physicality along the Alabama offensive line. Now Alabama can can absolutely do great, great things running behind the left side of the line, but uh, running right is almost always a heartburn generator. But the thing with Pete Golding is. You know, Pete Golding followed Jeremy Pruitt, and Jeremy Pruitt is an absolutely wonderful defensive coordinator. Always has been, always will be. And the thing about Jeremy Pruitt was Nick Saban really grew to trust him. I'll never forget in the first Alabama-Clemson game, the first Deshaun Watson-Alabama-Clemson game, there was an adjustment in the second half with Rashawn Evans essentially spying Deshaun Watson. Now, Clemson still had a great offensive outing in that game, so you know, they, and they deserve a ton of credit. But that caused a couple of key stops that helped Alabama win the game. That was a Jeremy Pruitt adjustment. And Nick Saban trusted him to simplify concepts and whatnot. Alabama runs a complex defense. They do. You know, it's it's a point of pride that Alabama sends a defender to the NFL and the defender says something on the order of, wow, this defensive playbook is smaller than the one we had at Alabama, which, cool, I suppose. But what does that mean? It means that you have to really be up on the scheme and you have to be able to teach a multitude of very different, very complex things and you have to be able to make the proper calls very quickly in order to get set. Because Nick Saban, he wants it to be perfect. If it's not perfect, Nick Saban blows a gasket. It's part of what makes him great. It can also bite him in the ass. I think at the end of the day, the Pete Golding experiment has run its course. He deserves an absolute ton of credit for circling the wagons on this defense last year because the defense was very, very good by the end of the year. But unfortunately, where he's really fallen is when adversity hits the defense, particularly in the form of injuries. It's unfortunate that Drew Sanders got hurt. It's unfortunate that Chris Allen got hurt. But now having to trot out Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell or whoever, well, particularly in the case of Dallas Turner, well, that means Chris Braswell, something hasn't come on to where he's gained the trust of the coaches. I don't know what it is. I feel like when he's out there at 8 day, he's a terror. But, you know, whatever. We'll just leave that wherever, however. But the biggest problems this Alabama defense has, it's injuries and then the trigger men. Henry Toa Toa has struggled. Christian Harris has been an active liability for this defense in multiple scenarios. That can't happen with a third-year starter, particularly at a position of need that's going to, that needs to be good for this defense to be good. It's unfortunate, but this experiment needs to come to a close. Now, you don't do it mid-season because, again, there's still plenty to play for, but there's just so much trouble with this defense that you're putting an offense 
with a rough offensive line in a position that they almost need to score every single time. That's not sustainable for most offenses. And, you know, just one more thing, Drew, and we can talk about this later. For any fan being critical of Bryce Young, I'll take Bryce Young and Matt Corral. Give me three quarterbacks that would have beaten Texas A&M last night. You can't take Bryce. You can't take Matt. What three quarterbacks in college football this year, given that circumstance, just straight trade, beats Texas A&M? And go ahead. Well, and I'll say this. I mean, I do think Bryce, he's a little off, but as William greatly pointed out, he didn't get protected for the first half, and he had to settle in. He battled, and I thought he played well enough to win, no doubt about it. He didn't get any help from his receivers, seven to eight drops. Uh, you know, I, but I think the, the, there, there's been some immaturity in the wide receiver room. I think there's been guys like Ajay Hall who can't get their minds right to make an impact. I know I found out uh, Javon Baker has been suspended. He did not play yesterday. He's had some issues off the field because – I, th- I thought he might be a breakout guy. He made several plays in the scrimmages and was a, a guy that could, you know, make a big play. He hasn't done that. And when you go and look at it, Jamison Williams is averaging almost 19 yards a catch on 27 catches. But, uh, uh, you know, a guy like mechie has got 34 catches, but he's only averaging nearly 11 yards per catch. The only other receiver that's making explosive plays on his receptions, of course, is the tight end. And that is Jaleel Billingsley, who had the worst game of his career this past Saturday night. So, uh, you know, they did, they have not had, they did not have the explosiveness that they needed. And certainly right now, the running back room is, uh, you know, shorthanded with the injuries. But Alabama's played through injuries before and still won championships. Now I just want to see how this team responds to a loss because, uh, you know, in the past, Nick Saban seems to have always bounced back and, you know, and can continue to grind. But this group, I'm probably the least confident of any because of how young they are and some of the disturbing things you hear about the mindset of the squad. So uh, I'm going to be really interested. Uh, you know, it, 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 you know I'm, I, and especially with the Chris Owen situation, now that Alabama's lost the game, is Nick Saban going to explore a change in personnel there? What are they going to do defensively? Uh, to try to get more locked in because this group has proven it can play because, look, they shut down Ole Miss's offense, which scored 52 more against Arkansas. So they're capable. But, I mean, I think that the mindset was completely off in the last game. They weren't ready to play like William said. And now we have to see how they respond going forward. Uh, and, uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I'm just unsure right now how we may see this group respond because, uh, Mississippi State's capable. I don't think they're a great football team, but they, you know, they nearly lost to Louisiana Tech. They did lose to Memphis. Of course, some horrific officiating played a part in that. But you know, they did beat A and M at A and M, so they're capable. So I'm going to be really interested to see how this team plays going forward, William. Well, you know, going back to something that Thomas was talking about that that kind of jarred my memory a little bit with the the comparison of you know, Pete Golding to Jeremy Pruitt as a defensive coordinator, you know, I'm not so sure if the biggest, you know, loss there is trying to compare Jeremy Pruitt as an inside line coach to what you've seen 
the product that Pete Golding's put out, you know, in his three years as the inside linebackers coach. You know, I know the, you know, we're going to have to throw the, the, you know, excuses out there for what happened his first year with everybody getting hurt. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the case the last two years. And, uh, you know, Thomas, you know, touched on it. I, I talked about this last week, and, you know, I, I felt this way the whole year. You know, there, there's a real reason that despite being the guy out there calling the plays and all the press clippings, that the Alabama coaching staff has yet to name Henry Toa Toa one of the defensive players of the week through six games now. Um, I guarantee he's not going to be one of them come tomorrow. And, uh, you know, the guy's good in space, uh, you know, versus the run, but he's not a guy that handles, you know, taking on a 300-pound offensive guard versus lead plays. He's not that great in coverage. You know, I think Christian Harris, who has been, you know, named the player of the week two games this year so far, has all the physical ability. I, I don't know if, you know, he's enjoying the Range Rover too much, if he's trying to protect himself versus injury. Um, but, but you know, he vanishes as well at times. Um, to me, that's the biggest, you know, deficit on this football team right now is, you know, if you look at the, the number of, passes i mean and it's been this way for a long time i'm not just picking on harris and and toa toa you know if i was an opposing offensive coordinator just like you saw jimbo fisher do last night to weidemeyer i would throw the ball from 10 to 15 yards from the line of scrimmage um either to the tight end backside of the backfield crossing patterns to the wide receivers it's been there for the taking for years and it's never been addressed it's never been corrected um, you know, it, it, it's frustrating to watch because these aren't, you know, trade to priest guys that run five flat forties. I mean, they're talented athletes. They're just not in the right place. Um, so, you know, and, and there again, um, maybe Nick Saban is going to try and wait until, you know, the off week to, uh, you know, make personnel changes. I don't know, but I, you know, I, I think they need to be made sooner than that. And, um, uh, you know, you go back to what, you know, Thomas and I were talking about, um, you know, before we started recording, as far as seeing other guys get in the game and, you know, get their chances. I mean, you know, that's that's the old, you know, coaching axiom. They obviously haven't proved themselves to the coaching staff um, in practice. And, you know, this isn't the 60s and 70s where, you know, Bo Jackson and, and uh, Kenny Stabler and all those guys could, you know, lay up drunk during the week and show up on Saturdays and Sundays in the NFL and college and, you know, get the job done. We just don't do things that way anymore. Um, but, you know, in certain instances with stuff that was happening last night, I don't care if a player had proven himself to me on the practice field or not. I would have had to have given somebody else an opportunity. It's just, you know, you just – I mean – Look, if Chris Owens can't pass pro those guys at Texas A&M, bless his heart with what Georgia's going to do to him, if, if, in fact, they get to play Georgia. I think that's probably up in the air at this point. Yeah, it really is. And I, I got on some people because everybody kept talking about during the season so far, you know, how's Alabama match up with Georgia? Just hope they get there. There's a lot of football to be played, uh, you know, and, that, and there were still people talking about, well, we're going to win out. Just worry about beating Mississippi State. That's what needs to be worried about. You need to worry about winning a game. 
and doing what it takes to beat an opponent on the road because it's going to be a hostile environment. I mean, Mississippi State is going to smell blood in the water. Everybody will. Everybody wants to end that Bama dynasty. So Alabama has to decide what, you know, to get their minds right and play better football. And I agree, William. I mean, I don't think there's any question to me that I think they, they've got to have better options at that right tackle spot in Chris Owens. And I think I, I, I would hope that this loss would spur some thought about that uh, from Nick Saban. I know the kid has been loyal. And I know Saban thinks he's a leader and likes him as a person, but the kid is just not as as talented as some behind him. And I, you know, and if they want to give Kendall Randolph a shot, I'm good with that. I mean, Nick Saban has said Kendall Randolph would probably be the next in line. Well, then go ahead, give that senior a shot. But I just think Chris Owens has had his chance, and he does not. He is not an SEC caliber tackle, and he may end up getting Bryce Young hurt at some point. Uh, with his lack of ability to move his feet. And again, like I agree with you, William, uh, it's not his fault. It's the coach's fault uh, for putting him out there and more likely Nick Saban. Nick Saban is not infallible. He's as good as I've ever seen, but he makes mistakes as well. And all coaches in some form or fashion play politics. And I think this is what's going on with that. So hopefully we'll see some change. And then defensively, I mean, I agree. I don't think the inside linebackers have been coached well. Since Jeremy Pruitt left, he is now in quality control of the New York Giants, who I'm watching get just absolutely uh, throttled uh, by the Dallas Cowboys. And so I just hope they'll bring Jeremy back. I mean, I had, uh, you know, somebody crazy on Twitter tell me today that Jeremy's a cancer and he'd rather, he'd rather have Glenn Schumann or Dan Lanning from Georgia. J- Jeremy Pruitt was not a cancer when he was at the University of Alabama. He did a great job in 2016 and 17. Look at the defensive stats. I know that's a few years ago now, but they were number one in the country both years he was here. And he had enough inside of him as far as the uh, the, the vitriol and the, and the ability to stand up to Nick Saban to, to uh, simplify the scheme and allow guys to play. And so to me, William, uh, coaching-wise, I just think the most glaring thing is they need to change a defensive coordinator at season's end no matter what happens. And they need to change a D-line coach because I don't see guys getting better. I don't see a lot of guys getting playing time or getting developed properly. No, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, there there were some, you know, rumors at the beginning of the year that, you know, people were, you know, in, in the football building weren't happy with Freddie Roach's recruiting ability. Um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to sacrifice a little bit of that. Um, you know, if you were seeing a – you know, an exceptional product on the field with the with the defensive line. And, you know, to be quite honest with you, they've regressed. I mean, they're not as good as they were last year. And, uh, you know, I think the only guy that's gone from that bunch is, is Barmore, um, you know, than what they had on the field last year. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I'll say this. This is what I do know. I do know the people that are blaming Bryce Young for last night have lost their ever-loving minds. Um, he had no protection. Uh, he had no protection. Uh, he was running for his life half the time. You know, the receivers were dropping passes. You know, I will say the, the one thing that, you know, has kind of plagued him about the only thing you can kind of ding him on um, that hasn't really gotten any better since the Miami game is he still is struggling with his timing and, and accuracy on the deep ball. Um so, you know, um, you know, Bill O'Brien, 
Um, you know, the play calling sucked. Well, you don't put up 525 yards against somebody with shitty play calling. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, you know, he shouldn't have thrown those passes down there on the goal line. Um, I don't necessarily think, you know, hell, it was a great call until uh, Cameron Latu dropped the pass. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think probably, you know, and I think probably to me last night, the, the most disappointing, um, you know, part of the game last night to me was Jaleel Billingsley's performance. Yes. Um, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, clawed and dug his way out of the, you know, the offseason doghouse and, you know, has come up big in quite a few games so far this season once they let him start playing and, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, went backwards last night. And, uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating to watch. But, you know, those guys in that football building get paid a lot of money to, to fix the stuff that we're all bitching and complaining about. And hopefully they will. Yeah, no doubt. They certainly do. And and uh, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, how they, uh, how they, you know, handle this and going forward and, you know, how the staff handles it. Certainly, I think this team has flaws. I think everyone in the country does, even Georgia. Uh, but I think Alabama can still have a really good season. I know Nick Saban was very confident in the personnel on this team, but now the staff has to do what they have to do uh, and, you know, and, and make some difficult choices. And like you said, they are paid a lot of money to do this, no question about it. But, uh, Thomas, I'm going to bring you back into the conversation. Uh, what what are your thoughts about going forward and what you, what you see uh, – out of this football team and what you hope as far as changes are are made or or what you see going forward, going into the next game in Starkville. So one of the things that was most eye-opening about last night's game is the feeling of listlessness. The, 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 there, there, I can't even put my finger on it aside from, it seems like this Alabama team, because they lost so much legitimately excellent talent, there's a leadership, just complete leadership void. And what does that mean? It means that whether it's the coaches not doing a good job preparing or the players not doing a great job in practice, you have a problem. Well, the, the most egregious stuff that really happened last night is with the loss of Drew Sanders, Will Anderson had to play some Sam Linebacker. Sam Linebacker drops into coverage more than Jack. That's one of the things that happens in Nick Saban's scheme. That's not a problem when you have Drew Sanders and Will Anderson. It's a problem when Will Anderson's dropping into coverage. That's not where you want him. I would say that is a tremendous problem. It's just not something that should happen. What that means is you stress because you suddenly don't have a good pass rush because 31 covered a multitude of sins for this Alabama defense. Suddenly the struggles at middle at the inside linebacker positions and DeMarco Hellum's struggles were highlighted. I don't know if that can get any better in a game. You know, not in – I have st- trouble believing it in six days. So – I really expect a lot more of the same from this Alabama defense. I think, even though 
it is a an air raid offense. I think that it's going to be good enough that if Alabama tries to do what it did last year against Mississippi State, which is rush three or four and drop seven or eight, they're going to be able to move the ball effectively. Now, I don't think Mississippi State's defense is going to be able to stop the Alabama offense, but honestly, Drew, and this is about as damning a feeling as I can say, I feel like Alabama is about to do its best Oklahoma impression where instead of having the faith that they'll get a good series of stops in key high leverage situations, they're going to have to out just outscore folks. I, I, I don't think the middle linebackers are going to get better. I don't believe that Nick Saban is going to be convinced to simplify his defensive schemes. And so we're looking at a situation where it's Oklahoma-esque. It's unfair to make the offense score, ask the offense to score every time they touch the ball. But that's going to be the primary way Alabama wins. It didn't work against Texas A&M, but as has been said multiple times, if a scenario were to have come up where even half of the eight drops were caught, Alabama puts up 600 yards. And Texas A&M's not kicking a field goal to win the game. They're throwing for the end zone to tie the game as the clock expires. Now, I don't know if they would, if Alabama would have been able to get that stop in that scenario that I just described. But th the key thing moving forward is I don't buy into this defense being really able to do anything but be a road bump. <coughs> And particularly on the road, like on the road for some reason, and this is where the leadership void comes in, the team gets unsettled on the road just as an entire unit. And that just exacerbates everything wrong. So I think the defense is going to be a little more than a speed bump for this Mississippi State offense. They aren't as talented as Texas A&M, but schematically they're not. They're good enough to put some stress on the defense it won't be able to handle. And it'll be a situation where – here we go again. I mean, I'll, I think my score prediction is something like 41-38 Alabama. It's going to be a four-quarter bare-knuckle brawl where hopefully Bryce Young is effective enough to carry Alabama in an insanely tight game. Well, I, I don't see it being that tight. I, I'm, I'm going to show some faith in the team. I think the defense will play better against Mississippi State. I think State will not run the ball like A&M did, especially early. Spiller really hurt Alabama, and I think that was the key because it gave Calzada some confidence. I'm hoping that this Alabama team will be able to, uh, you know, because A&M's, or excuse me, uh, Mississippi State's known for being a little soft. I'm hoping that Alabama will will come out angry and be able to put pressure on the quarterback, disrupt him a little bit. I'm not expecting them to shut Mississippi State down. Don't get me, you know, wrong about that. I'm just hoping that the offense will come out with a purpose, be balanced, control the clock like they did against Ole Miss because I think this state defense can be had. I mean, they certainly gave up a lot of points to Louisiana Tech. Uh, you know, they did lose a, a, a Memphis team that's not having a good year. So they their really only good performance of the year was against uh, Texas A&M. Uh, so I think with this, this Alabama team will come out and play well. 
I think the number is 18. I don't know quite that I'll have them covering because uh, it's 17, 18 points. But I'm probably leaning more toward a 37-21 to 21 type win for Alabama where State probably scores a touchdown late. But uh, I, I'm not going to pick them to cover, but I think they can win comfortably in Starkville because I just got to believe they're much more talented than the Bulldogs. And I think A&M was still searching and kind of feeling sorry for itself when they lost to Arkansas and Calzada was still had not had his out party. Now, I don't know if he'll play that well going forward. I'm not sure he will. But I do think that Alabama will find a way to slow down Mississippi State enough to win the game by double digits. But, William, how do you kind of see that matchup kind of starting to shape up with the, with the Bulldogs of the maroon and white? You know, I, I'm scared to make a prediction. I mean, uh, well, after I watching this team, that it, yeah, right. I, I dig it. <laughs> you know, after after watching this defense, you know, give up the amount of points to a team last night that, you know, a couple weeks ago were only able to score ten points versus Arkansas, and a few weeks before that they only scored uh, ten against Colorado. Um, I don't know, man. I'm I'm trigger shy here. Um, but, you know, I would say I'll probably go somewhere between you and Thomas. I mean, I, I, I'm i not saying it's not going to be that close. I certainly can see where it could be. But, you know, I, I say Alabama wins, uh, you know, 38 to 28, something like that. And that might be wishful thinking on my part. Yeah, I mean, and I can understand not knowing. I mean, I, I'm not completely sure either. I'm going on a hunch, uh, you know, and uh, how the team will respond. I'm hoping some internal leadership will, uh, and some pride will rise to the occasion because we haven't seen Nick Saban's teams, ex- except for the first year, when they went from 6-2, and two, I believe, and finished 7-6 and because they lost four straight to end the season. I still think this is a very talented team. And, and Thomas, what I'm banking on is we saw this team shut down Ole Miss, who I think I still wouldn't be shocked if they beat Texas A&M because I think that they have a good enough offense. And we also saw, uh, you know, Ole Miss score 52 on Arkansas the next week yesterday. So I'm just counting on them to play a, have a better performance. They're ne- but I will agree that this defense is never going to be dominant, unfortunately. Uh, I think they have material to be, but I just don't think they have a good enough defensive coordinator and D-line coach to do so. Uh, you, you know, and so I, we'll see. But I have severe doubts about the coaching staff. But I still am going to put faith in this team to to uh, play better than they played this past Saturday and find a way to get a win. But I can understand that people would be nervous about the outcome. So I, I want to actually touch on that because it's it's one of the things that drives me crazy about the Alabama defense. The One of the big reasons that Alabama was able to be very effective against Ole Miss is in order to prepare for the tempo attack, Alabama really zeroed in on very few defensive formations, a lot more simplistic. You know, not you know, you're not checking at the line every single time, and I, I, that's really what this defense needs, for whatever reason, whether it's Golding not being able to teach the scheme the scheme being too complex, so Golding doesn't understand it, the players struggling to 
put the entire defensive playbook in, whatever it is, I don't really care. There, there, are, multi- there are multiple issues that, that were shown yesterday, and they've been kind of shown previously. I, I mean, honestly, the, the joke for me is if I did a shot for every time 10 and 8 overran a pass, not only would I be dead, everybody in my family would be dead from alcohol poisoning. So one of the things that, you know, one of the things, that really, that just kills me because that's where the Nick Saban defense is supposed to go. It works when you have linebackers do the right thing and stop a play in the gap. It doesn't work when you overrun it. But anyway, to my central point, Drew, and then I'll kick it back to you. Alabama, because of the tempo, they couldn't put in 35 different defensive alignments. They went pretty basic and just said, we're going to beat you. We're going to control you. We're going to do everything we can to take away your run game through basic defensive alignments and good tackling, which the good tackling was (laughs) – but anyway – it was the best defensive performance that Alabama had, and I agree with you. Ole Miss is a good offensive football team. They're going to show that through the rest of the year. If, if Alabama comes out and you look at it and you can tell through the first quarter, you know, quarter and a half-ish, that they're really just doing a variation of the 3-2-6, that thing that Arkansas does, whether it's a drop-eight defense or a drop-seven defense where it's either – nickel personnel or dime personnel, and they're not doing a bunch of weird variations, Alabama could blow Mississippi State out. It's just, if Alabama does decide just to go absolutely crazy and put in 35 different defensives to stop, you know, one offensive formation, and they're doing audibles and everybody's got to, everything's got to be perfect, which slows every defense, every defender down. It's going to be a four. It's going to be a four quarter fight, and I don't, I don't know what or how the coaching staff is going to choose to attack, given that we've seen the defense do what the defense did against Ole Miss, and it was effective, and then we just saw the defense make what is statistically a truly, truly awful Texas A&M offense look like the greatest show on turf being able to move the ball up and down the field for at least all of the first half and crunch time in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. I think everyone is, uh, is, you know, (laughs) has been disappointed with how the defense has played since the first two games. And, and again, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. The lack of leadership as a whole is what bothers me the most. And then the drop passes. I mean, I just think that's a lack of focus and attention to detail. It's going to be a really interesting week of practice to see if Nick Saban can get these guys back locked in. They, he got them locked in to Ole Miss, and they played well. It's probably going to be a week-to-week thing with this team. Uh, you know, And that's why I'm showing some faith in, the, uh, in them against Mississippi State. But, again, I don't blame you or William for having doubts about this squad and that, and you think the game's going to go down to the last play. I mean, I, I, and you know, certainly it could and William picking more of a 38 to 28 game. I'm picking more of a 37, uh, you know, to 21 type game. But again, uh, this is a team that still, they're more talented than Mississippi state. They haven't lost to them. 
since 2007, Nick Saban's first year. So hopefully they'll take care of business because Mike Leach doesn't really change a whole lot of stuff up either. Alabama's going to be able to, you know, study what they're doing. You know, Zach Arnett's a nice defensive coordinator, but, you know, they have, they've allowed teams to move the ball. So we'll see what happens. There's no doubt about, uh, doubt about it that there'll be a lot of people wanting to see how Alabama reacts going forward. Uh, and it's not going to be easy in Starkville, but I still think it's a very winnable game. And I still think we could see Brian Robinson have another big game. He, he's followed it up with two straight. Uh, the senior doing well. They did have the miscommunication or the botched handoff, which was disappointing. And then uh, that interception in the end zone, both those turnovers were huge. But if Alabama goes to Starkville and plays clean, I still think they win and they can win convincingly. Uh, but they're going to have to play better and not make the mental errors that we saw this past week, uh, in, you know, in College Station, no doubt about that. But William is there. Any other closing comments you might have? I mean, I know we pretty much rehashed everything, who we were disappointed in. We certainly were disappointed in the tight end room. I will say this, William. I am I am excited about Jamison Williams and his development. Uh, certainly, I thought he took some huge steps forward at being the number one receiver last night. Well, I, I, I think he's been doing that probably since the Southern Miss game. Uh, right. you know, I think Mechie has pretty much, you know, struggled um, since the first game of the year as far as getting separation and, you know, having a chance to make I – mean, he makes a few explosive plays. I'm not going to, you know, ding on him too hard. But, you know, I, I, I think if there's one area that, that maybe the offensive coaching staff could, could get together on and, and, you know, improve this, you know, this offense a little bit, you know, if, if you've got a suspect offensive line, you know, and, and think about, you know, Ole Miss's offensive line is nothing to write home about. But, you know, how, how do they overcome that negative and, and are still as prolific as they are in, in, you know, gaining yards and scoring points? Their plays are quick hitters. You know, they, they RPO your ass two or three times, then here comes Ely up the middle, you know, running the football. And, you know, I think maybe Bill O'Brien ought to spend some time um, – you know, taking a look at that, you know, because, you know, you don't have to pass block, but for a second and a half or two seconds, um, you know, when you're in, and I think Bryce Young is, you know, more comfortable and, and probably more effective, you know, running more RPOs than he is dropping back, um, you know, with a tendency to be more of a pro style passing attack. So, um, you know, I think that's something that could maybe even make this offense, you know, if that's the direction they're going to have to go in, you know, to outscore people, um, you know, take a page from Wayne Kiffin's playbook. I mean, he's taken the personnel that he has to put out there on the field and he's putting them in a position to be as effective as they possibly can be. I can promise you, even with Matt Corral, as good of a quarterback as he is, if you asked him to run, you know, a slow developing passing attack, you know, he wouldn't last two games. He'd be dead. So, you know, I think that's something that, you know, Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban and Doug Marone could, could look at doing going forward is to, you know, because they've got the pieces for that. I mean, they've got, you know, the tight ends to do it. Um, you know, they've certainly got the backs um, to, to have the running attack behind those RPOs. You know, I, I just think that's something that I noticed last night was, you know, when you're struggling to, to pass protect, 
Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep going back and beating a dead horse and asking those guys to do stuff they can't do. You know, give the quarterback an opportunity to get the ball out of his hands quicker. You know, just by the RPO fake, that's going to freeze the defensive line and the linebackers if they are blitzing. Yeah, that's a great point, William. Uh, you got to change some things up. You got to, you know, adjust if you're this coaching staff. Certainly, this was, uh, you know, not a good performance in all three phases. So, I mean, you, yeah, you, you give up a kickoff return for a touchdown. You struggled the way you did defensively in the first half, and then at the end of the game, and then offensively, you make just enough mistakes, dropping passes. Uh, you know, uh, you know, not executing in the red zone very well. Uh, not running the football in the red zone enough. I was surprised they didn't go heavy. I mean, I, I, I need to ask you that too, William. How surprised were you that on in that first half when they threw the pick at the uh, at the one, and then when they had four straight or excuse me three straight passes uh, on that first and goal at the four, that they didn't go heavy and try to run the football in with Brian Robinson. I mean, I got to be honest, I'm going to have to go back and watch the replay um, because by about halftime, I was more interested in watching the the Wilder Fury fight anyway. (laughs) Um, But, but, I mean, did we see a lot of Kendall Randolph last night? I don't remember seeing much of him. I didn't see much of him except a a few, you know, a handful of plays tied in, you know, yeah. But I didn't see a lot of him on the field. I agree with you there. Well, one of the things about – Go ahead, William. I'm sorry. I, I want I want to jump in. Well, no, no, I, I, I won't. I won't forget my thought. Go ahead. So one of the things about this Alabama attack, particularly against Texas A&M, when everything got closer, when, when you get inside the twenty, the field compresses. You know, duh, just by by its very nature, that's what happens. I don't think the coaches trusted this offensive line as a as a fivesome to be effective enough to just blow the Aggie defensive front four off the line to get the tough yards. I just – I don't think that was a thing last night. I don't think they've shown that. I don't think they've shown that beyond even Texas A&M. Uh, the, the, if, if you want a nightmare, you know, you want to you get, get me into a dystopian nightmare, make me watch that fourth and one play where Ole Miss, which is not a very physical front group, stones the Alabama line in the fourth quarter. That's kind of the hallmark to me. So if you know you can't just out-muscle an A&M front, you got to spread and try and pass. Is it ideal? No. But I don't expect to see a lot of Kendall Randolph and a lot of heavy formations because I think, I think Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban are convinced that's not an effective attack against better fronts. I mean, and again, we said this, they should be able to do some of it against Mississippi State. But against a team like Arkansas that's very disciplined and very disruptive, good luck. Uh, Against a team, you know, if LSU gets up and plays to their talent, even though they look bad, they have enough talent to potentially do it. So I think that's what, I think that's where you're really seeing the struggles with Chris Owens having an effect on the rest of the line and the faith of the coaches of the offense to execute in crunch time or in short yardage situations. But go ahead, William. 
Well, no, and, and you just added something that I hadn't even thought about. You know, yeah, the field gets condensed once you get inside the 20. Uh, but going back to, to your point about the coaching staff not being able to trust the offensive line, when you get into a first and goal situation inside the 10, it's, it's condensed by 50% even more. And uh, so, I mean, I think you make a great point. And, and going back to Drew's thought from earlier about, you know, maybe Kendall Randolph is the answer, you know, at right tackle, I'd be all for at least giving him a try. And, you know, put the dirty white boy from South Carolina – you know, out there is the extra blocking tight end. I can assure you he's going to win the majority of his reps versus outside linebackers in the SEC and at least get a stalemate versus most defensive ends. That's a great uh, point. You're talking about Robbie Oots, and we didn't see any of him last night, William, and that bothered me because those heavy sets have worked quite well, and I think they even could have worked against Texas A&M, but again, uh, I can we can question play calling in every game. Catch the fucking ball. Uh, that's my final thought of the night. I mean, just catch it. Uh, uh, and guys, drop the ball that hadn't dropped it all year. Cameron Lutz two has been great. I said earlier about. I talked earlier about that. Jaleel Billingsley has a lot of talent, but obviously was not there last night. Mentally, not uh, you know making plays and and just really the entire team as a whole. I think they made too many mental errors and hopefully. This is going to lead to some guys self-reflecting and stepping up and uh, performing much better in Starkville. But I want to thank everyone for listening. It's been a great discussion tonight. A lot of interesting takes from both William and Thomas and, of course, myself. We appreciate all the responses we're getting and the support of BAMS Radio, and we do it each and every Sunday here uh, and bring it to you. But I want to thank Thomas, the Wizard Watts, and Mobile, for producing and giving us a chance uh, to be with you guys every week. And William Redfish Barger for taking the time out of his schedule to join us. And William, I guess I will record it on the podcast. So I've got to ask one more time. Uh, this is an off football question, but you've got to give us a movie review from your outing last week. Well, I'll say this if for, for people that, you know, didn't follow the, the Sopranos, you know, series when it was on, you know, from the late nineties to the late two thousands. Um, I, I think it would be a pretty confusing movie if you're not familiar with the characters, you know, in, in their older age, you know, this is a prequel. So it's, you know, a teenage Tony Soprano. It's a, you know, um, Ju uncle June is, you know, late thirties, early forties. You got Tony's dad, you got Christopher Maltesanti's dad is kind of the central figure in the movie. Um, you know, you do get to see, you know, some of your, you know, other favorites, you know, young Polly Walnuts, young Silvio, young Big Pussy Bompensero, um, and, 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 you know, the guy that they cast in that role, you actually think it is Bompensero, but um, I'll say this, I mean, the way they left it off, um, there's either going to be a follow-up to um, this one, um, you know, that takes you from, you know, Tony Soprano, um, as a high school senior up until what you saw in the first episode of season one, um, you know, in the late 90s when he, you know, becomes the, the figurehead of the family. Um, or, or there's even some rumors out there. HBO just signed the series creator and, and the, the movie guy, uh, David Chase, to a five-year contract. So that, that tells you that they've got plans to do something more than this one. But, um, 
you know, it's, it's a, it's a great historical take about, you know, what was going on, you know, in society with, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies, there's, there's a lot of racial riots and, um, yeah, I, I thought it was very well done and very enjoyable. Yeah. Well, an excellent review there from William. I'd like to see that movie. I probably need to put it on my list, but we thank you, William, for joining us. And we look forward to hearing from you next week as hopefully Alabama can bounce back uh, as we have predicted. All three of us like Alabama against Mississippi State, of course. But uh, Thomas uh, is uh, has predicted a very close down to the wire four quarter game. I predicted Alabama to win comfortably but not cover. And then William kind of in between 38 to 28 type game with Alabama putting it away in the fourth quarter. But. We will be back to discuss it next uh, Sunday night, and uh, we look forward to being with you guys. But good night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this edition of BAMS Radio, and roll tide.